Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 53. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today we're going to be talking about what is this FIRE movement? This, uh, they call it FI and RE. That's the, uh, stands for Financial Independence. That's the FI, and the RE is the Retire Early. A lot of things to unpack about this. And we also get into sort of the, the withdrawal rules. You know, how much can you withdraw? Can you actually do the 4%? What type of returns do you need? What's the the sequence return problem that sometimes people run into? And lately, uh, probably one or two people have have asked me. You know, on, on uh, you know separately, I teach finance and economics, and so I uh, meet uh, graduate finance and economics, and so I, I get to talk to uh, a lot of people, different ages, sometimes in their twenties, sometimes thirties, and a few lately have asked me about this whole idea of the, they call it the FIRE movement. And so the FIRE movement is really uh, about, obviously, what they want to do is financial independence and then retire early. And the way I, I look at this or the way it's been explained to me, um, you know, they there's really two sets of this. One is people just want to have enough assets so that they're independent and they can do something that they really like, whether that's a job that pays them less or start a business or any number of things, be able to take some time off. The other part of this is the people say, look, not only do I want to become financially independent, but then I want to just retire. And whether that's at age 30 or age 40 and just live off the, the assets for the rest of my life. A lot of there's quite a bit of difference between those two, but this broadly brings us back also to the idea of someone wanting to just retire. You know, the general retirement where you think, well, at some point towards as you get late fifties, sixties, you want to kind of uh, have a the ability to to pull the parachute, slide the chair in, and and retire. And so a lot of these principles that they talk about actually cross over into some of the the just general retirement side of this as well. So a lot of good things, I think. Uh, a lot of things that are really important and interesting, uh, the so-called FIRE movement. And so let's let's dig into this. Um, obviously, whenever someone is trying to save money or trying to build up money, it's, it's a function of not only the return, but a lot of this really comes from the contributions. So you can do this in Excel, and if anybody knows how to excel, it's just equals and F is in Frank, V is in victory. The future value calculation, you do that and uh, you can either put a minus sign in front of the FV so it gives you a positive number or at the end of the parentheses, uh, just hit times negative one. But basically, whenever you're trying to figure out a future value, you're going to have a starting value you're going to have some sort of return or an assumption for a compounded annual growth rate. And or in other words, CAGR. And this is really important because the compounded annual growth rate is what an investor would actually experience, where a nominal growth rate, just mean, or a nominal, just a simple average, is not what they experience. And the best example I, I always give about this is let's say you, you have a million dollars, you lose 50%. You now have five hundred thousand. If you gain fifty percent the next year, you have seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and so your simple average is zero, but your compounded annual growth rate is actually about negative thirteen point four. So compounded annual growth rate CAGR, that's the one uh, that you want to be thinking about, and typically that's less than the, the simple average. So 
you're going to have to have some sort of an assumption. I'll go through some numbers here and you're going to figure out, okay, what if I make a monthly contribution? And whenever you do a monthly contribution, you've also got to figure out uh, if you're setting this up, let's say you come up with a monthly component annual growth rate, the number of periods, another, you know, if you have 20 years, that's 240 months, 12 times 20. Hopefully you can do that. And so just to give me an idea uh, let's say that somebody uh, assumes they're going to get about 7%. And I think this is a, an important point too. Uh, going online and, and seeing some of the, the talk about from the fire movement, there are some people who are using simple averages and they might be a little bit high. And you know, I think, I think that's, uh, that can be dangerous. Um, also, when you're putting in money uh, or taking out money, there is some of the, the sequence of returns that matter. In other words, when do you get the returns? So those, uh, those can alter things a little bit. And when you're doing something like this with a, a simple calculation, you're basically assuming that you're just going to get this annualized average uh, compounded annual growth rate. Or if you're doing it, you know, putting in money monthly and then you're, you're separating it to a monthly compounded annual growth rate. Um, that's just an important distinction. But let's get to some numbers. So someone says, look, I want to retire early. I want to have financial independence. And by the way, what does that really mean for them? Well, one of the things that people do is they say, okay, they figure out, they try and figure out uh, what their desired income level is. All right, now I'm going to use 40000 And the reason is when I get to the, the withdrawal rate, I'm going to use a 4% withdrawal rate. And to get 40000 you would need a million. And so one of the ways that the, the quick math on this is you take your desired income times 25, and that's going to tell you what the balance uh, that you need to using the 4% rule. But anyway, back to how you save and how you invest and things like that. So let's say you assume about 7% competent annual growth rate. You're contributing $2,000 a month, which would be $24,000 a year, and your starting balance is a dollar. Well, in 20 years, uh, assuming all those things play out, you'd have 1,041,857, all right? So a couple things on this. Part of the FIRE movement is there is uh, there's some actually extreme cases where people are trying to save 50% of their salary or they're trying to you know even save even more. I don't know, there's one story about somebody who was living in a... a what do you call the Winnebago or, um, and, and really saving money or somebody else was living with their parents. Uh, so the more money that you put in, uh, obviously the more potential there is. So let's say we do instead of two, we do $3,000, which is 36 grand. So on a hundred thousand dollars, that's 36% of your income on 50,000, that would be 72% of your income. Okay. Uh, but assuming that same compounded annual growth rate of 7%, 3000 a month gets you $1.5 million and some change. So this is the, one of the positive things is, especially if people are doing this early on when they're younger, there is a much better or bigger benefit to starting early because the, even if they stop making contributions – you, in theory, get all of those years for that money, whatever base of money, to compound. And obviously, if you're contributing as well, uh, that's also going to 
you know, ramp things up as well. Uh, but let me just kind of show you, since I wanted, the point was in 20 years, you know, what would it take to, uh, to get to uh, 1 million with these assumptions? So bringing it back to 2000 $24,000 a year and a 7% annual growth rate, again, that gets you just above $1 million. So this goes, it's kind of interesting because uh, let's say that, uh, you know, somebody is, and this is more of a general retirement thing. Let's say someone is about 10 years from retirement, okay? And they already have gotten, uh, let's say about 500,000, okay? So I'm just plugging in some numbers here. Well, this goes back to the the sort of the accumulation and the distribution phases. So there's typically, you know, people look at, you're accumulating money, you're putting money away, and then you retire, and then that's the distribution phase. That's where you're taking withdrawals. But in the book, and I'll actually link to, there's a free chapter in the book where I gave a few different case studies, somebody with 100,000, and I think I said 10 or 15 years to retirement, and just showed the difference of, of the amount of assets, not only at retirement, but how long they last at various investment returns, inflation assumptions, and contributions. So I'll definitely put that in the in the show notes. Uh, but it, it kind of gets back to the whole, uh, I think there's three different phases. There's the accumulation. And then there's that last 10, 12, 15 years before retirement. And if somebody's in this fire movement, uh, that could be a different age than, than we normally think about it. But I look at it as accumulation, a base maximization, and a distribution. And the reason why this is really important is, you know, we just got done with a decade, and I'll share with you in a little bit, just uh, for stocks for the S&P 500, what sort of the the compounded annualized growth rates were over various decades. But let's take somebody who uh, is doing that 2,000 a month, 7% assumed compounded annual growth rate, and then... They're, they're 10 years away from retirement, and their current balance is 500000 say, okay, we've got 10 years. Uh, they, decide, you know, they need to get above a uh, million dollars. In fact, if you, if you actually had that scenario play out, you wind up with about $1.3 Again, this is assumptions only and the competent annual growth rate that's assuming it's, you know, uh, it's, it's pretty you know, distributed evenly, right? But what happens if... Uh, you don't have the type of decade that you want in those 10 years. So there's good news and bad news here. And I looked and recently pulled up and did some back-of-the-napkin calculations uh, and said, what's the annualized return for the S&P 500, the total return? So that uh, sort of includes dividends as well. And the 2010s were plus 13.3%. That means your average annualized compounded growth rate uh, starting in uh, 2010 uh, and ending in 2019. So that's actually 10 years. I mean, 2010 was the first year. 2019 was the last year. It wound up being about 13.33%. Great. Uh, That's better than the 7%, right? Now, the 2000s, you actually had a negative 0.99, 0.99, so rounded negative 1% annualized return. In fact, the 1930s and the 2000s were the only decades that had a negative competent annual total return from the S&P 500, at least going back to 1900s. 
but you know, we had the 80s and 90s where 17 and a half, 18 and a half uh, rounded roughly positive. 1950s was just under 20%. And then you had, you know, a five, a seven. So there's good news in that stocks over the long term, at least historically, who knows what's going to happen in the next 10 years, but uh, that's why we hedge and uh, all those sorts, sorts of things I've talked about before. But let's say that you got one of these lost decades. And by the way, a lost decade is, uh, uh, as somebody pointed out to me recently, it, you know, even uh, it's really more of a, you didn't get any benefit from it. But you know, there's not really, there hasn't been a, a decade where you know, somebody's lost 10% ad, uh, average annual. It's, it's almost been like you just missed out on the opportunity. But let's say that uh, you know, instead of using 7%, you used a, a 1% or negative 1% competent annual growth rate. So here's where I think the FIRE movement, sometimes with always using uh, those you know, that seven or eight percent, this is how they can fall short. So doing that two thousand dollars a month, negative one percent, uh, starting balance of five hundred thousand. If you were like, hey, I want to be I need to be at my number in ten years, uh, the future value would be about six hundred eighty thousand dollars. And just out of curiosity, if I change the uh, let's say the the contribution, and I made it from two to three, so thirty-six grand. That's about seven hundred ninety-five thousand. Of course, you know, the more you put in, um, the higher those numbers are. So I think that's point number one. With uh, well, I guess I'm making a lot of points, but that's that's something to consider. And it's uh, it also transitions and and goes across the normal retirement as well. That base maximization period is really critical because typically somebody needs that last surge where they accumulate a lot of assets. They're still contributing. They're at their max earning years, and then they they need to see that one last uh, you know sort of uh, decade of returns or 10, 12, 15 years uh, where they maximize the base they've created, and so that's that goes across obviously retirement as well. But you you've got this uh, this fire movement, and I know it sounds crazy, but somebody says, "Well, I'm thirty five or I'm twenty five. I want to retire when I'm thirty five. But this, the, the period of returns that they get um, is uh, obviously the, the contributions are really important, but you need the returns and the sequence of returns matter as well. So the question also comes up, is it real? Is it doable? Um, does, does this even work? Well, I just went through the math. And the good news is that, yeah, I mean, it, we know that uh, putting away more money every month, uh, having it historically in investments that return, uh, hopefully a positive return. And historically, the, the average annual compounded growth rates uh, have been pretty good over, you know, historically. So that's, uh, that's the positive there, right? We talked about the stages, the accumulation, the distribution, and I call that base maximization phase. So, you know, th- this gets into sort of uh, the sequence of returns a little bit. And so this whole movement, the FIRE movement, goes back to the 4% withdrawal rate. Now, the 4% withdrawal rate, I uh, forget which, which year. I'll try and if I find it, I'll link to it. You can Google the, the 4% withdrawal paper. Uh, but they, somebody did a, uh, a paper a number of years ago, and they tested, uh, I think it was a blended 60-40 portfolio, 
60% stocks, 40% bonds, and they tested it to look at, could somebody over these rolling 30-year periods, could they actually, could, could they safely withdraw 4% a year? And so let me first back up and explain what that means. When we say a 4% withdrawal, that means in the first year that you're drawing money from your assets, maybe that's the, the first year of retirement, um, you've got, and I'm going to use a million dollars, the withdrawal rate 4%. That means your year one withdrawal is 40000 And the theory is that as long as you get, you know, uh, an okay, somewhat of an okay return, your principal will last. And, and so one of the ways to look at this is you say, if year one, you take your million dollars and you take out 40000 your balance after withdrawal, so let's say January 1st, take out your 40000 your balance to start the year is 960000 right? So the theory is you took out 4%, and to have your balance grow back to a million, that would require a return during that year of about you know 4.2%. Um, and remember, this goes back to the whole idea, the less you, you know, lose and you didn't lose, you just took out money. Uh, but the less you take out, the less return you need to replace that. If you took out 50% of your money to get back to break even, you need to get 100%. Kind of the idea of hedging and losing less. So that goes on. And basically, you think about it, some retirees, or I guess if somebody retires in the fire movement at 35, they could they could need to have their money work for like 60 years. I don't know how that works. But uh, in theory... If you're not losing a lot, um, you don't have big drawdowns. So it, it's this idea you start with a, a balance, you have a withdrawal, and then theoretically, as long as your return is is enough, you can sort of replace that. Now, here's, here's what happens, though. And I think this is another area where some of the things that uh, in my research of the FIRE movement, you, know, you go to, to some of these areas and people are making comments is they don't really factor in how much money they're going to need as the years go on. And I'll address those two ways. One is just inflation. The other is sort of the idea of the, the unexpected uh, you know, expenses or what medical is going to cost. That's sort of a different discussion. So the idea is that, okay, let's say that uh, we assume, and this is a big assumption, we don't know what inflation is going to be going forward, but if we assume there's going to be some sort of a 2% inflation rate, okay, what that means is year one, you take out $40,000. Year two, you need to have 2% more than you did the year before because things cost 2% more. So instead of taking 40000 out, you take 40800 all right? Um, in year 10, so you're retired and now it's 10 years uh when you, you look at the inflation, now you don't need 40, you need 47,803. And there's a quick way to do this if you have an iPhone or an Android phone, if you have a Windows phone, why do you have a Windows phone? But if you want to know, if you want to take that $40,000 or, or just any amount, uh, if you open up your cell phone's calculator, you turn it horizontal so it's long ways. If you do 40,000 times one plus the decimal of the percent. In this case, we're using 2%, so 1.02. And then there should be an X with a, a Y, uh, superscript, subscript, either one, but it's the X with the Y. You hit that button, and then you hit what you want to, you know, 10 years in the future, let's say. 
And that tells you, um, you know, that would actually be year 11, right? So um, 48,759. So that's, uh, and by the way, I, I hope I didn't confuse people there. Meaning year one is, that's your 40,000. So in 10 years, that's actually the 11th year, right? Because uh, year two is when you first see the increase, right? So so that's the thing. So you look and then you say, well, in 20 years, it's going to be 58,272. And then in 30 years, it would be 71,000. So that's that's when you're looking at the withdrawal. That's sort of the starting point. And so let's let's look at this too. Uh, if we assume, and this this doesn't really, um, you know, the, the reality is when you're taking out money. So if you don't take out money, you don't put in money. The sequence of returns, the order that returns happen, don't really they don't matter. Uh, but when you start taking money out, when losses happen, when gains happen, can make a big difference. So the first thing I'll do is I'm just going to say, okay, let's say we. We continue to get, uh, let's say, 5% compounded annual growth rate. And we started with a million. We start taking 40000 out. And in year 30, you know, the math says you'd have, you'd still have assets. You'd have quite a bit of assets, okay? But that doesn't account for any sort of sequencing returns that get a little bit clunky, all right? And kind of to, to give you a good example of this, uh, let's imagine we started this in year 2000. And year 2000 would probably be a bad year to start. Uh, imagine you retired, it's the year 2000, and we have a couple down years, and then we obviously have 2008 in there. So 2000 to 2018. So that's roughly, uh, what is that, 19, uh, yeah, it's 19 years, okay? And there's a difference between, um, what I did was I took, the uh, returns for a 60-40 generic portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And what I did was I said, let's start out with just doing the returns um, as they were. In other words, in the year 2000, that portfolio would have given you about a little over 1%. The worst year was 2008, about negative 14%. You had some negative years, uh, first couple of years. Um, 2018 was a slightly negative year. Okay. So if you're taking out the 4%, you roughly would have around the same, after 19 years, you'd roughly have about the same amount of money that you started with. And that's because the returns were there. And then what I did was I said, let's look at uh, what if you had the best years? So I sorted these returns from the best year, which is a little over 17%. And then the worst year was negative 13.9%. And what would the, the ending balance be? So big assumptions, right? After in year 19, you say the sequence of return was the best first, and then they're sorted. So the, the worst is last. Uh, the numbers, you know, taking out 40,000, increasing it for 2% inflation. Um, you actually have about one point, you know, hypothetical, right? About 1.7 million. Uh, what's fascinating though, is if, if you have the worst years first, um, and instead of the, the best years first, in year 19, you'd only have about 360,000. And by the way, that means year 20's uh, withdrawal would have been about 58,000. That's over 
which are all right at that point. You get it because your balance is low. So the sequence of returns can matter. Um, lose Big losses early hurt more when you're taking money out. Um, the bigger losses late, higher returns really help. And you know whether or not it's a 60-40 portfolio or a portfolio of stocks, um, you know who, who really knows there, right? But um, the other thing that I think is the unknown is just how much inflation will be. So, you know, when we look at inflation, and if we were just say, well, what if inflation, instead of being 2%, went to 3%? Well, that means that, uh, you know, your year 10 is now 52 grand, year 30 is 94 grand that you're going to need. And that's going to start to erode the balance. Um, what if you had, you know, 4% inflation? So the inflation, the more things cost, uh, the more theoretically somebody might be underestimating their withdrawal rate. So that's something to keep in mind. The other thing I would say is one is uh, particularly the fire movement. And one of the questions I guess I would have for, for the folks on that side is, if somebody actually did, let's say, retire at 40 or 35 or 30, uh, where some of the stories say, what do they do for insurance? Um, it, because that's uh, someone who's buying that, uh, especially if somebody has a family, that could get quite expensive. And I know um, they sort of have these uh, these desired incomes. Maybe they, they live very frugally, which certainly people can do. But uh, I think that's potentially something. And then just for the retiree, you know, everyone's inflation is sort of personal. And so, you know, what you might have expenses that are different from mine. And um, obviously, as people age, theoretically, the uh, the expenses may go up. Um, and right now, I believe Medicare is uh, not available until 65. So someone retiring a little bit early is going to have a gap between that. Somebody retiring really early, um, you know, I'd be curious to see those numbers. So that's one of the things to keep in mind, too, is that what you spend money on in retirement might be vastly different than what you've been spending money on. Um, you may not commute anymore. So you don't have commuting costs. Maybe you don't need to fill up with as much gas, but your medical is uh, year over year is compounding and growing quite a bit. So those are types of things that I think when, when anybody does any of these assumptions – uh, it gets a little bit tricky because you just don't know, um, you know, what your inflation is going to be. And uh, who knows? I mean, unexpected large purchases, maybe you need an air conditioning, uh, central air unit. Those aren't cheap. Uh, a new car, uh, medical costs that come out of nowhere. So, um, and then the other question, and this is maybe more of a general retirement question, those in the fire movement who retire really early will have many years before they can get Social Security. Um, and also, if they don't work many years, um, the way Social Security works is they take your highest 35 years after adjusting for inflation. So what does that mean? It means, let's say you made $20,000 in 1976. After you adjust that for inflation, I think it's around 100000 So that would be, you know, if they're using your 35 biggest years, they wouldn't do 20,000, they would do 100,000 for 1976, right? Makes sense? So they take your 35 highest years after adjusting for inflation. And what they do is uh, they add all of those up. And so let's say that uh, your 35 years 
Um, you add all those up and it winds up being, you know, a, uh, I think CNBC did a, an example. If I can find it, I'll link to it. But they did one was about 1.4 million was the total top 35 years after adjusting for inflation. And it wound up being about $3,300. Um, and the way they did that was they said, well, it's your total, the 1.4 million divided by 420 months. Why 420? Because 12 times 35 years. And then they come up with this number. And that's your average inflation-adjusted monthly income. And then what happens from there is to get what your hypothetical you know, uh, Social Security payment is, you get different percentages. So I think it's uh, somewhere around, I think just under 1,000. You get like 90% of that number, you know, your total 35-year uh, earning divided by 420. I think it's the first 1,000, uh, might be just under 1,000. You get about 90% of that. And I think you get like 30 to 35% of, a, of the next range and so on and so forth. So um, at some point... Uh, depending upon when somebody takes Social Security, they can augment their withdrawal strategy with Social Security, assuming um, unless Congress or the, they do something to either means test it, meaning you know if you have more assets, you'll get less, or they make changes to the payouts. You know, who knows what's going to happen? I'm not even going to speculate on that. But in theory, right, you are taking withdrawals, and at some point, you can augment those. So uh, between Social Security and um, your withdrawal strategy, you can come up with a, a number. Um, but that is something to consider. Um, someone who says, hey, I'm 25, I'm going to uh, work for 10 years and then retire because I'm financially independent. They will not have, uh, you know, their 35 best years will have a lot of zeros in them to average. Um, but people in the fire movement would probably say, they're not counting on Social Security, and this is about uh, generating assets. And as I said, uh, the the FI, the financial independent, uh, that's somebody who wants to get enough assets. They feel like they can make choices and, and do things they really want to. Um, the RE stands to retire early, and that's sort of a different thing. I think it's two different types of uh, mindsets there. So I think as we, we think about the FIRE movement, there's a lot of good um, especially on the spending side. I think it's really fascinating and it's it's worth, uh, you know, a lot of things that they look at uh, are really informative. And I think it's, it's valuable. Somebody could take a look at what you're spending and see if you can route more of the money and invest. The more you do it, the, the larger the amount and the earlier you do it, the better because of the, the idea of compounding. And I, and I think, you know, the, the idea of starting to think about what, type of number you're going to need from a withdrawal strategy, uh, whether it's 4% or 3% or something else. Um, and then the other thing I'll just say is that there's been some people lately who have said, look, this 4% used to work and it might not work anymore. And the reason why they're, they're doing that is a lot of this was designed when somebody is retired and they're going to shift more of their investments to fixed income, meaning bonds. And bonds used to pay, as we know, in the 80s and 90s, you know, pretty healthy percentages. Uh, now we have negative rates around the world, and the U.S. Treasury is only giving us, you know, roughly 1.8% for 10 years. Uh, the idea that a 60-40 portfolio or a 50-50 or 40-60 uh, 
uh, a percentage of the portfolio in most years, it's only going to give you the coupon. And if interest rates go up, uh, there's more interest rate sensitivity risk because the durations are much larger because of the low coupons. So that is something to, to keep an eye on. Uh, but I would also say even when people were getting much larger uh, interest rates on the bonds they held, inflation was higher too. So uh, it, it remains to be seen what the, the right uh, withdrawal rate is. Uh, but I think it, these are all good things. And I think it, there's a lot of crossover to uh, more crossover than people think uh, for someone who just you know wants to retire normally. Um, but I think the, there's uh, a lot of benefit there. And I think one of the, the main things that people can take a look at is, especially those that have assets and maybe 10 years from retirement, if you've got assets uh, and you can look at your expenses and route more money to your investments in that base maximization period, I think there's a lot of benefit to that. So, all right, folks, I'm going to call it there. And we'll be back next week with a new episode. I will link to the free chapter from my book, Broken Pie Chart. Uh, of course, I, you can also buy that on Amazon. And that is, uh, you should be interested in that because I go through various scenarios and show you some graphs. I'll also link to that CNBC uh, piece on figuring out or estimating what your Social Security benefit is going to be. And uh, I'll see if I can link to some other things as well. All right, everyone. Have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. 